This is the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 444, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. Loving you is killing me. Welcome to the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast. This is episode 444. That's the easiest thing for a computer (laughs) automated system. Four, 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 four. My name is Josh Flanagan. (laughs) And joining me are Connor Kilpatrick. No, it's more like Conar. Oh, yeah, Conar. That's what it is. Conar Kilpatrick. (laughs) Hello. Not bitter or anything. (laughs) Paul. Paul Montgomery. <laughs> Paul Montgomery. How did you affect your voice there? That was amazing. He's part I robot. Like a, I heard like a robotic warble there. That's uh, pretty good. So, it's hot in my room. We are iFanboy. We like comics every week. We read a bunch of them. One of us has the job of picking the best one they read that week. That is called the pick of the week. We're going to talk about that for the beginning of the show. We'll talk about other comics that came out this week and some other topics of interest. Uh, but probably not that one topic of interest we talked about last week because I think we're done with that topic of interest uh, and some other stuff. Is that Bill Murray movies? Uh, that's not what I meant. Exactly. It's not it. Hashtag. Right. Before we get to the show. The door, then. You've opened the door way, way should, uh, Listen, if we want to talk more about Bill Murray movies, I think that, I think that we're all down, down with it. For it. I think the audience is <laughs> down for it. We've shown, we've shown genuine interest. I think we could almost literally switch this to a Paul Watches classic Bill Murray movie podcast. And we could do pretty well for ourselves. Zombieland was pretty good. I like that one. See, there you go. It's, we, it's all sorts of stuff. And then like the like the controversial 1942 episode. It'll be great. Guys, write that down. Before we get going, there will be spoilers as we talk about what happened in the books that we are talking about. So if you have not read your books, this is probably not the best way for you to listen to them. But if you don't care about that kind of thing, because listen, spoilers are everywhere. What are you going to do? Uh, come back and listen later or do what you will. But you've been warned. Paul, you had the pick. There actually are some spoilers this week that a bunch of people got blown up, resurrected, uh, fake dead in the case of the pick of the week. Um, The pick of the week was Daredevil number five. And I know, I know, Daredevil usually, you know, piece of rancid garbage. But this week, it was pretty good. No, I'm kidding. It's always great. And that was sort of, that was my one real conflict. Uh, It was the first thing I read and I was like, wow, this is great. This is pick of the week material. But it's Daredevil again. Like, is that kind of boring? And, you know, I read everything else and I did read some great stuff and we'll talk it about some of those. It took you a those. year to get to the point in your head where we've been at for, for a long time. But it was just ultimately... Sometimes you just got to pick the book. It, sometimes it's five just... five in a row. I just, if I'm being honest with myself, it's got to be Daredevil number five and a great issue. And one of, the, one of the, the great threads is that great friendship between Foggy and Matt Murdock. And... We find out, you know, we found out in the in the first issue of this new volume that Foggy is is fake dead. And but why? Why is why are we pretending that Foggy's dead, although he's like in a hidden room or something and watching through like a keyhole? What, what's going on here? What's the story behind this? So it took five issues. But we finally get to that point where we have a flashback, and Matt basically explains in a in a beautifully rendered walk through a, a New York park. I don't, is that Central Park? I don't know if that bridge is popular. Yes. But, so yes, it's Central it Park. So they're, and, and beautiful I, dappled I, light I, going through the leaves. And I want to go ahead and just point out really quick as I was reading this, that was a really good rendition artistically of Central Park. I knew, ex- I knew from the bench exactly where it was. And I know that he doesn't live there and it was impressive. Go on. Mm-hmm. But it was just, 
it's beautiful without it being too photo referency and just yeah. the foliage. I was like, wow, this is really gorgeous. It looked great on my new iPad that I have. <laughs> uh, Shut up. <laughs> so I was so it's sort of like from that scene, I was like, wow, this is this pick of the week material. But maybe I should have more reasons to explain why. And luckily, they supplied them with a great uh, new version of Leapfrog uh, in a mech. And when you've got a mech suit, Paul Montgomery's on board. Uh, so I was excited to see that. And then you have this great solution to a problem. Matt says, you know, we're going to, I'm going to be moving to San Francisco. I've outed myself as daredevil. Um, but you're still in danger. Um, it's going to be a problem. We're going to have to fake kill you. (laughs) And that's an interesting conversation to have to have. And Foggy's like, well, I don't want to go out, you know, in some stupid way and just use the cancer as, you know, an excuse and, I no longer exist. That's that kind of sucks. Like I want to go out like, you know, he mentions, you know, Tony Stark and Spider-Man have both died and come back. And he's like, well, I, I want to go out like that. I want a big bombastic, you know, exit. Um, so he's kind of bitter about it. And then luckily this whole leapfrog thing turns into a situation where they can fake Foggy's death as a hero um, piloting this this exploding mech suit off into the atmosphere like Batman at the end of uh, Dark Knight Rises. I thought this was really great um, on a number of structural levels. And this is a one-shot story. It is, as Paul, you said, it, it does tie into everything that's been going on. But basically, it's a one-shot. And uh, we've been yeah. talking about those lately. There was the, um, that last book we are talking about, The War Ellis, last Ellis, last week's pick of the week, Moon Knight. And... Um, Wade does a, re- a couple of really brilliant things here. One, it opens with the funeral, and you see there's a, just a giant crowd of people at the funeral. And it, I didn't really notice that at first because it's Foggy Nelson. He's, you know, of course he'd have a lot of people at his funeral. But this is, you see thousands of people there. Yeah. As well as there's news crews and things like that. Um, and then at some point during the middle of the issue, he says, well, who would even come, who would even care that I died? Who would even come to my funeral? And again, I didn't really realize, it didn't really click with me because again, it's Foggy Nelson. He's, he's famous. But then, uh, you know, the reason why he, there's so many people there at the funerals is the reveal is because Foggy, quote unquote, saves, gives his life to save everyone from Leapfrog, who has gonna, who's gonna blow up. His his suit was rigged to explode. It was gonna take out, you know, tons of people. And he gives his, he quote unquote, gives his life for to save everyone. And that's why everyone. It was just a really nice, you know, bow on the end of the story. And it's such an interesting way that they that they make it work. Like that that moment where Daredevil is concerned at first, realizing that the suit is going to explode, and then he smiles, realizing what he can do and this gift that he can give Foggy. And because Wade has carefully set up this idea that um, that Hank Pym is even now inside the body of Foggy Nelson on a fantastic Not in a voyage. Way. Yeah. But if he was, if he had a phone and he was tweeting, he would say, "Foggy Nelson, I am in you." Right. Um, no. Because he's in there destro- blasting the cancer cells. The I know. We don't do that. I know you're. I know you're saying. But Hank Pym, I think, maybe a little bit behind the times in terms of you know culture and what's cool. You know, there was a little bit of a, deus, the, a Deus Ex Ant Man in this issue, but it wasn't as bad as I feared at first when you saw him in the, in in Foggy's body. With his cannon shooting cancer cells, I thought, "Oh God, they're not going to cure him of this." Yeah, way. it was a little. Um, but then, uh, it's just like treatment, basically. You know that that cancer cells are actually uh, large, spiky, and green. It's how you can tell which ones they are. Mm-hmm. Well, it's easy that way. But um, I understand science works. 
But I, it was great. And you mentioned, let's talk about the colors again. This is, we often talk about how great Jordi Belair is. She's not the colorist here, although you think she was because it's so great, but it's Javier Rodriguez. I think this is, is this his last issue? Oh, is it? He's been um, on since the beginning, right? Because there, there was a tweet earlier this week about how he just had finished his last issue of Daredevil or something. Oh, okay. it's, um, maybe this isn't his last issue, but this is great. The foliage in particular in, in Central Park and the way it sh- the shadows drop on the people. And yeah. Just, it's a really great coloring job. And one of the things I like about this book is, just, is the way it looks, and not just because of the Somni art, but the way it sort of pops color-wise. It's, it's, it's a very bright and shiny book, which is representative of Matt's mood as opposed to the, the Bendis, Brubaker, Frank Miller era of you know, Kevin Smith of dark and shadowy. This is a very out-in-the-open daylight book. And it looks great. And then in the in the opening sequence, you've got that image of Foggy sitting on the bed watching footage of the funeral and the really harsh shadows cast over his face. And it's, you know, what what is the situation? What is his relationship like with, you know, with Matt? Is he angry at him? Um, and then by the end, you have a really, you know, touching moment where he realizes that, you know, as long as, you know, Matt knows, you know, uh, I'm fine. I'm good. That's because he's a really good guy, and I I respect him. And I look up to him, and uh, I'm very thankful for basically what he set up for me. I th- mm. I think one of the things that's been really nice about this run from the beginning is that um I think Wade has a a good take and an interesting portrayal of Foggy's relationship with Matt because I mean they're they're more or less their their brothers in a way. Kinda, that, yeah, you know the they and, fight, and they they they, make they, up, they, they they fight a lot. Like they they really the things about the one irritate the shit out of the other one because they're so close, but it's an, it's an indelible... See, this is one of the things about the stories, no matter how bad it seems like their relationship gets or whatever, you know that they, they love each other. Um, and I, it's like they me, can't schedule the podcast and <laughs> someone said something stupid and... Yeah. Oh, hold on, wait yeah. a minute. Well, well, it, well, I, I mean, that's the, exactly what it makes me think of. Well, I think, um, the, I think the perfect example in this issue is when uh, Matt is carrying Foggy because he's winded and you know, he's got cancer. He's not going to be able to run very quickly. And he says, I'm, you know, I'm kind of thankful that cancer, you know, took like 80 pounds off of you because this would have been much harder to, to carry you off and, and rescue you. And so that like the, the ribbing, you know, it's so there there's the, you know, the. The heartfelt it, it, moments at the end, but then they're also ribbing each it other. It is it's, that, but like nice even the, the last sort of bit where, he, you know, as I'm glad that Matt's, but like before it, he's sort of being very honest about all the things that bug him about Matt. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and at the end of the day when you take it down, well, this, this one fact about him, this, this one thing about who he is is why, you know, I'm always going to be, you know, why, why, you know, he's always like the most important in the world to me. Or, you know, I, and I just think that that's been a through line through this whole thing with their relationship um and i thought it's, i just think it's been really well done this is a nice example of it i think i think also, the end, you kind of think he's still he's like are you still mad at him and it's like oh no i can't be even, well, even i though. think the most elegant thing about it and the thing that you could easily forget just because you sort of know what's coming that that daredevil wouldn't be smiling if he didn't know he could save foggy from the situation he yells out and he knows that foggy is going to save the day and sacrifice himself foggy doesn't know that he's going to be rescued right He's, he's not, he's anyway. not thinking about the fact that, you know, Hank Pym is inside him and can, you know, get him out of there. Um, he wants to he wants to help people. So he gets a real hero moment where it's actually genuine. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's nothing bad about this book. Every, on every level, it's, it's a master class in comics. And uh, 
I'm always happy when it's out. I'm always excited. So good pick. I'm glad. Pick. <laughs> we had a new number one this week. Grayson number one. The new Dick Grayson comic from writers Tim Seeley and Tom King and artist Michael Jannon, who used to do Justice League Dark. Good artist. Good, good writers. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, Tim Seeley, writer of uh, Hack Slash and Mini Image Comics. Currently and, Revival, which is, a, which is a very good book. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Tom King and, is apparently a former operative. Former, well, he can't. T- he can't talk about that, right? No, but he's <laughs> literally. So uh, bring, it brings a level of authenticity to this. I didn't even think story. about that. Tom King uh, wrote uh, a novel called uh, "Oh God, What Is Once, It?" Once Crowded Sky. There you go. Once I was a sky. spy for the CIA. <laughs> that too, but again, he can't talk about that. The time uh, I was spying can't talk about it. And then he also wrote my favorite short story that I've read in years, um, I was which a spy was for the CIA also. The um, yeah, see, you can't prove it or disprove it. We can neither confirm nor deny. Uh, no, he wrote that that short story in the Vertigo anthology with Tom Fowler on art. Oh, about, that's right about time traveling Hitler. Yeah, yeah, that was really it's, good. It's literally my favorite short story that I've read in forever. Um, so I was looking forward to this, but my my question is, what in the hell does this have to do with Dick Grayson? And I don't mean that I don't mean that flippantly. Like I really was like, why is it Dick Grayson? Is this something? Because I wasn't. Is well, in the, okay, so over in Fear itself, Villains United, whatever the fuck that event was called, right. uh, Dick Grayson was outed as Nightwing. He was outed publicly. Somehow no one made the connection to Batman and Bruce Wayne, but he was outed publicly <laughs> and then uh, killed by Lex Luthor, but revived. Future's Evil. End, you mean, right? No, 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 no. The one uh, for Forever Evil. Forever Evil, there you go. And then uh, revived mere moments later. But uh, so the world... Found that he was Nightwing and then thought he died. So Batman has taken this opportunity to send Dick out undercover in this, what's it called? Spider? What's, what is this organization called? Spiral? Spiral. This spy organization. They're not the CIA. They're not Checkmate. But they are a different organization. And uh, so he's now, he's now joined this organization and is working undercover. That is, and that is really it. I'm just looking at this as sort of a fun, cool Elseworlds story. Starring Dick Grayson because I thought it was super fun. Uh, yeah, I was, but you know, like Joshua was trying to sort of reverse engineer this, like, like what what are they doing here? And I think it's just like let's do something completely different with Dick Grayson. Right. This is a you know a really they've odd... already got a Robin, they've got a red, well they don't really Which... have a Robin. they've got a red Robin, they've got a Batgirl, they've got a they've got a Red Hood. We've known that Dan DiDio has had it in for Nightwing for years, so. Uh, let's it's, just let's do something completely cool. different. Yeah, it's fun. I, I don't think it's. A, I just was curious what if there was a through line. I don't need there to be. I just no. Don't. I mean, they're always looking. He was a cop for a while. I remember that. Does always, that even count anymore? I count. No, no, but like they're always trying to do something with him. They don't ever seem comfortable just leaving him as Nightwing. So uh, this was cool. I really liked when not, when Midnighter showed up and he faced off against Dick Grayson. That's when I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I thought it was great. That's an interesting combination. Yeah. I thought they were going to be a team, and I was like, "That's going to be interesting." But um, this was fun. It was a you know basically dropped in the middle of a mission. Dick Grayson is in a yellow wig, is on uh, our blonde wig, is on a train trying to extricate a Russian from uh, from the train before other agencies can take him out. And he's got a partner who we learn at the end is Helena Bertinelli. And uh, I thought it looked fantastic. I thought it was very yeah, sort it, of it, um... high energy, fast paced action movie. Uh, I thought feel he to was going to be in Checkmate for a little bit, and I thought that yeah. would be bad, but they just name-checkmated it. 
Yeah, he's not a checkmate. Just just art wise, um, I knew it was uh, Michael Janine, and then I then but looking at it, it looks totally different from what he was doing yeah. on um, Justice League Dark. Dark. Justice League Dark. Yeah, sorry. Um, I was going to say Dark Avengers. Um, oh, Jesus. Um, yeah. So it, it it looks completely different, and it's, you know, and I think the coloring is a big part of it. Um, they have fun with it's not totally like mod spy kind of thing, like what's going on in the Winter Soldier book, which we'll be talking about. But it's just enough. Like it's it feels like a modern spy thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a you know like I'm like a modern James Bond movie. Um, right. Maybe because you know, with the like looking at the train from the distance, you know, when you see Midnighter there in the beginning, like that reminded me of the opening of uh, Skyfall, and yeah, uh, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, I like the device that the um, high level agents have this uh, technology that makes their face all blurry. That's cool, yeah. And uh, so, and I guess the agents also have it in the field, and it's creepy looking, but it's also a cool device and. The whole thing is this agency spiral is trying to figure out who superheroes are. So they've already got Batman pinned down as Bruce Wayne, which feels like should be a later on thing. But yeah, we're already going there. So I like – I'd say there's lots of interesting elements to play with here. They're raising the stakes right from the start. Can't blame them for that. Yeah, there's no stakes higher than that, really. They could know so, what his middle name is. That's true. I don't even know what his middle name is. I don't but, uh, Robert the Bruce. <laughs> Robert the Bruce Wayne. So um, yeah, that, that would make Bruce's middle name, wouldn't it? Like uh, like it did with Hulk in the seventies. That's um, see, that's the thing it, that's actually been throwing people off for years. But for so so, my question to Connor, since you're the I think the the biggest uh, Dick Grayson fan here, it could have gone mm-hmm. a different way with that. Um, did you think that it did it feel like Dick Grayson? Did it? Did he? You know, did the voice? Yeah, I it? thought it did. I thought I thought they had a good handle on him. I was really really. Not concerned, but I was really apprehensive about this series. I didn't know what to make of it. The you know the, the cover of image is very striking of Dick holding a gun, and he's done that before. He's again when he was a cop, but it's so sort of anathema to the, the Batman heroes. So I didn't know what I was going to make of the series, but I really thought it was a fun, fast-paced adventure, and I thought I think that's what fits Dick's personality. I mean, he seemed he seemed like Dick Grayson here. He seemed he seemed it, it worked for me. Um, I liked Helena Bertinelli a lot. I thought she looked great and very unique and very Italian. That uh, two-page spread with the uh, circus flippy flip, where he threw the body and then caught it later. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was pretty dope. Yeah, that was that was very that was very Robin feeling. Cool, yes. cool things coming out of the bad offices these days. Yeah, and then if you look at the front page, the first page again, you see how dumb that Robin costume redesign is. <laughs> Going there now. He's wearing he's wearing a backpack basically. Well, he's got to put stuff in there. All these years, you've been wondering where that stuff is. They're just trying to fix it. How could the utility belt hold all that stuff? And that's why. That's so this week good. also saw Star Wars 19, the second to last issue of the Brian Wood run on, at the Dark Horse, uh, of, at the end of the Dark Horse license. And uh, the previous storyline was pretty bad. It yeah, was, I left. Uh, I left as was, soon as the jokes ran dry about that guy. It was the uh, forced marriage between Leia and this prince because the rebels were going to use their planet as a base. But as it turned out, there was a whole big uh, uh, betrayal by the prince's security agent. He had sold, their, sold them out to the, to the uh, Imperials. The Imperials came and blew the shit out of the planet, and the rebels escaped. Uh, so now we sort of back the basics of this issue 19. I think I'm, it's going to be a two-parter to end the storyline. And it's, it's a very, it feels very much like the beginning of the series. I think even the original... Artist is back, and uh, 
you know, the, the last issue had a serious, the last arc had serious art problems. I never was able to really recognize who anybody was when Wedge and Han on the same panel. It was never, yeah. I'd never know who was who. But um, we're back with sort of a very basic storyline. One of Leia's childhood friends is off, has been off doing a secret mission for the Alliance. She didn't even know about it. And she's in trouble. She's being stalked by IG-88 and sends a distress call out. So Leia grabs the Millennium Falcon with Han and Luke and Chewie to go out to save her. It's just sort of a very... All of Leia's childhood friends are dead. They're on Alderaan. Well, that's why she's so, so anxious to save her, because oh, all of them are dead. So she is Alderanian? Uh, yes. Yeah, no, no, she's... Um, she is... Uh, I forget which planet, but it's one of the recognizable ones. She would come to visit and visit her friend she's, Leia. She's human? Well, there, there, are no, she, there are no humans. Well, there are no Earthlings, but they're... Right. She's human. She looks like human. Humanoid? Okay. Uh, so she's so desperate to save her because all of her connections to the past are gone. She doesn't want this last link to go. I thought that was a nice little device there. Um, and it just, it just feels very much the, you know, focusing on the small crew and, you know, on the Millennium Falcon against all odds. IG-88's there with a badass gun. Though he talks to himself a little bit too much for a robot, I think. Um, I thought it was really fun. If you, if you liked Star Wars in the beginning and fell off, I would check out 19 and 20. This would be I, nice I, think, I think droid psychology is very interesting because he's also a bounty hunter. So, like, you know, what makes a droid become a bounty right. hunter? Right. I'm he's, sure he's there's very, a short story He's out there. very excited about the credits he's going to spend when he captures this girl. And I'm just like, really? What's he going to spend them on? Upgrades. Oil can. Oil can. This oil can. This oil bath is going to feel so good. Well, he's finally going to be able to afford the next Mac upgrade. Yeah, yeah. Um, he so can afford a nice place where he can go shut down for a while. It's true. For example, uh, they love to do that apparently, but not, not forced. They don't want they don't want it to be a, a, a shut down under duress. Dantooine. She's from Dantooine. That's where, that's where she's from. Liar. I like the idea of a short comic based on like three PO worrying if if he can if he can take a Mavericks update. <laughs> Is it safe yet? <laughs> Is it okay? Constantly worrying. So I, I would say check it out if you see three PO is it depends if you're a protocol droid probably yes constantly worrying of that first couple of issues I would check I would definitely go back or if you didn't pick this up go check out uh, Star Wars nineteen twenty is the last issue and uh, then we'll wrap it up and then um, yeah Carlos Dan does the artist he was the original artist in yes he was yeah. right yeah so I would Wonderful. say you guys, you guys should check out nineteen and twenty okay cool um, now I'm really curious to see Josh what you thought of the Royals Masters of War number six the finale to the six issue miniseries. I liked it a lot. Um, I don't. It certainly wasn't what I was expecting, so I was kind of impressed by the the way that it ended. Um, it was a little bit of a. It wasn't a big sweeping V for victory kind of ending. Went out with a bang, though. Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, or slightly prior to the bang. So, like on the one hand, like I, I don't know. It wasn't like like we've won the war. It didn't feel like that, but it felt appropriate, and it felt like. Um, <laughs> We, the ending we deserve. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, this I, I is what like, you get. And I felt like it felt a little flat at the end. Yeah, no, no, flat, I, I, I can see that. But flattened by bombs. I didn't it, dislike it. I just it ended, and I was like, "Oh." I agree, but it fit with. I don't know. It fit with the. The line, yeah, you know, like like what the story was. I was like, "Oh, it doesn't it's not an inappropriate ending for it. It just kind of no, leads you." I, and I think the more I think about it, the more I like it. But when I yeah. in the in the moment, in, you know, reading it live, mm-hmm. I was a little disappointed. But, but looking back on it, so basically, this has been the alternate 
World War II story in which all the royal families have superpowers and they've entered the war. And so uh, in the last issue, we found out that the king of England and his son, one of his sons, were betraying England to the Germans because they were part of the German family line too. And uh, we're going to move to Germany <laughs> and become the royals of Germany. Basically, and, yeah. And uh, in this issue, it opens with, with the Japanese emperor, who's immortal, deciding not to get involved, despite Tojo begging him to get involved because Japan's being beaten by the Americans. And so we see that they're about to be bombed by the Enola Gay, cut to Germany, where the two sons fight, and two English sons fight, and uh, pretty grisly fight, actually. Yeah, and then, yeah. then there's a even grislier fight with their dad, and then there's a bomb dropped on Germany. Lots of so, lots of eye beams, which, which by the way, kind of cathartic. Um, this this not comic, just Germany, but dropped on top of Hitler's bunker. Is, yeah, yeah, is is, 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 a, is an atomic bomb. Speaking of Hitler, um, this has one of the best lines in any comic that you'll likely find this week or any week. Um, when the surviving prince uh, sees Hitler. <laughs> And he knows that they're about to die. He's basically he sends up I beams, basically showing where they should drop the bombs, and you know that this is all gonna all gonna go out in a in a big blast of glory. He says, "You, the greasy fashion calamity, who looks like an overmothered pervert waiter, who get us <laughs> really, a drink." Really great stuff in there. Really good. It was very cathartic, and then they dropped. It was. The- I know, like it's clearly written by a Brit. Like there's just <laughs> yeah. a little bit of a God. We didn't get to kill him. <laughs> we really, we wanted to, and he went in his bunker, and he he took that from us, and this is that sort of an addition to the alternate history. Well, yeah, but you also feel really bad because there's the there's the uh, emaciated German urchins on the street, yeah. right above where the bomb is going yeah. to blow. I mean, it's kind of there's no happy ending here. Well, that's also sort of it makes you think a little bit about because in this story, uh, uh, you know, Japan sort of demurs, so you you sort of it just makes you think about. The reality of what the war was, you know, well, at least for the Japan. The, the, the emperor says war is perpetual and it's yeah. never ending, and no, no matter what you do, there'll be another war, which is fairly true. Um, so, you know, the fact that there's the last thing we see is not Hitler's face before the bomb drops, but these two starving little children as the bomb is falling on them to get to Hitler. It's like the little match girl. It's it's like the it's like precious moments, kids, like, little, little <laughs> like rough, looking up and watching these bombs drop. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's wrong. the theme. That's the motif they're going for. Um, they also have fun in here with um, the translated language uh, as they're flying and there's bombs falling. One of the princes uh, says "bugger" and then says "translated from German." I that was <laughs> saw funny. that. I I didn't know. <laughs> I was that. like, that's funny. <laughs> it was this yeah, was, was a really overall this was a really great mini, and if, if it yeah. does make it out to trade, I assume it will. Uh, and you're a fan of that kind of story, you should check it out. Definitely. Um, I imagine most people haven't issues, but we've loved it from the beginning. Yep. Yeah, but it, yeah, I think you know what I think. I think it's I think it's a good end. I think it's the right ending. You know, that's it. It's not. Yeah, it's the ending I'm, we deserve. Uh, so, stop it. So, Spider Man uh, two hundred nine number ninety one. What did we think? Twenty ninety nine. Let's go back twenty years or I, so. Yeah. See, see here's the thing. Time. I missed the twenty ninety nine era, and right. I, there is a strong, like there's the ROM people, and then there's the twenty ninety nine people. Yes. And I, I don't get any of it. So I loved this book when it was out originally. It was Peter David uh, writing and Rick Leonardi on art. And uh, I, I read Spider-Man in 2099. I read Ravage 2099 because it was Stan Lee on writing. And I thought, hey, Stan Lee, it's going to be awesome because I was 13. And uh, I think I read some Doom, but that was I didn't really read a lot of Doom. That was Warren Ellis' one of his early books. 
And uh, Spider-Man was great, though. It was a really great book. It was legitimately really great book. It was about Miguel O'Hara, the half-Irish, half-Latino uh, uh, Spider-Man in the future. There's a and, Mexican-Irish restaurant in my hometown. Right. So Sorry, Putting that out there. So this was uh, The Return? I mean, I haven't been reading any other Spider-Man books. Well, so he I was in Superior Spider-Man um, right. for a little so bit. That's, so I thought this was... Not a failure, but it was as a first issue, it didn't do its job enough. It really relied on you having prior knowledge. And you can figure out, you can suss things out, but he's in the present day, uh, he, you know, because no one will read a book that doesn't take place in the present day Marvel Universe. But he's in the present day trying to find it, trying to save his company in the future. He's working for his grandfather. He, it's just like there's already all these things established. And I was I spent half the time trying to figure out what I what I had missed, which is a disservice to a first issue, especially one that had such a strong fan base in the past. But uh, take that out of the equation. I thought the story was fun. It was a time cop basically who has come to bring him back, and uh, it goes you know he, he goes horribly. I liked that the he basically will scan you to see what your future lies, and if you're not important in the future, he has no problem killing you with his giant uh, beams. So he's like, oh, you, you don't even have children. So um, the story was fun. Peter David is back on writing duties, and it's. I just felt like... Is this his comeback? Uh, he's still, he, didn't, he, he did X-Force for a long time. Yeah, I know, but X-Factor. He'd had the stroke. Right, I guess so. Um, well, he's been doing X-Factor. Okay. Yeah, X-Factor. Never X-Factor. missed a deadline, that guy. <laughs> and artist Will Sliney is really good. It's just I felt I felt like I was missing a lot of stuff. And they give you the backstory in the first page. It tells you everything that's going on. I just feel like for such a big return, they should make it more of an introductory issue. But if you liked the old stuff, you'll probably like this issue. I was I was disappointed when I found out that it was set now and not the future. No one will read those books, Paul. It's not now. I'm lying. I might read the book. I'd check it out at least. <laughs> if I'd stick with it, but so it was fun. I, I, I'm I'm glad I read it. I, I do. Re- I did really love those old those old Spider-Man books, and uh, but it had that feeling out to it. But I'd miss. I mean, part of the fun of those books was being in the future, like kind of like Batman Beyond. You know, all the technology and the crazy buildings and yeah. I feel like that would be the appeal. Old people, right? That's the other book. Where everyone wearing a lot of neon on their clothes. You know. So there you go. Also, if. If that sounds fun to you, I think I believe they started putting those out in trade form. So if you if you wanted to check out those old Peter David uh, Spider Man twenty ninety nine books, you can go to ifanboy.com slash Amazon. That's where you can go to Amazon to make all your purchases. We get a little piece of that sale, not from you, but from Amazon. It helps keep the site going. We appreciate everyone who does that. You just make it your bookmark link. There's a little a logo on ifanboy.com slash Amazon that takes you to Amazon. Once you go there, you can uh, make that your bookmark link and never have to think about it again. I have that on mine. I keep forgetting it's there, and every time I go to Amazon, I help myself. So we appreciate everyone who helps us out to keep the show going. Also, the people who go to iFanboy.com slash registration <clears throat> who uh, sign up to become iFanboy members at $3 a month or $30 a year helps the show out directly. You can donate any amount you want there also, and we appreciate everyone who takes the time uh, to help us out through those two methods, and we appreciate that. You complete us. You complete the circle that is iFanboy. Yeah. So Avengers Show me the cover, money! number seven. <laughs> we just talked about this like two weeks ago, didn't we? Well, Avengers it's a Marvel book, and but I, it's a Marvel book. I have book. like all of the books stacked up, and I was like, oh, I haven't even... Another one? There's <laughs> a lot going on. Um, well, they're this, getting them out. There's only ten. I think ten is the last issue. Yeah, so we got uh, Kev Walker back on art um, after 
six. He wasn't. Um, but anyways, uh, I, I kind of wish that this book was, and I know why it's that way, but I wish there was sort of the schedule allowed for Kev Walker to do every issue because I, I really like his art and I wish that it was just like a consistent thing. But, you know, it, it does kind of work to have a different artist because they're kind of panning around the ensemble. You know, but last it, time, it does make it feel more like the original story. Yeah, yeah. Which is good. Um, so what's cool about this is um, – Back in issue five, they resurrected Alex from Runaways, mm-hmm. um, who's sort of the Lex Luthor of that group, the the turncoat of the Runaways, and now is basically schooling um, uh, Blank Miko. Miko, right, um, on how to be how to be bad, how to be evil, how to best use her powers, and I think it's a really cool idea. Um, part of me was like. Oh man, is that sacrilege bringing Alex back? Because it was such a big moment for the beginning of the Runaways. But if anyone was going to do it, not necess- and, it, and it wasn't going to be Brian K. Vaughn. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure it'd be Brian K. Vaughn. Well, no, but no, but in terms, no, but in terms of, I, I, I get that. But in terms of like tone um, and some of the themes, but, uh, yeah, yeah, this is a good right. place to bring him back. Um, just uh, you know, telling stories about um, the sort of moral gray area for all of these characters, you know, pretending to be evil and of acting out evil. Um, and and the also- whole reason they're acting out is because they publicly murdered Arcade. And so people consider them now to be supervillains. But yet, find out in this issue, perhaps he's not dead. <gasps> or he's in, not in dead. He's not dead. He isn't. He isn't. He's, he's <laughs> dead. He's right there. In the he's issue. right there. He's just hanging so, out. So um, it's good. It's good. I thought this is, you know, this is very good. I love the very... I love this examination of these heroes on the edge. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a cool use of the of the runaways. Um I feel like they're the most relevant that they've been in a very long time. Between this and X-Men, they're all they're all over the place. Yeah. So yeah. I, I thought this was a really good issue. And if and if you're, you know, a big runaways fan, you definitely want to get on this. Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, Superior Foes of Spider-Man, Spider-Man number 13. Almost the pick of the week because it was a very, very funny issue. Um, even for Superior Foes of Spider-Man, um, I thought this was hilarious. And part of that was because Mach 5 went furniture shopping and couldn't get out the glass door uh, and just shattered <laughs> the glass door with his windows. I like, I like that that is an ongoing joke. I, he and cannot, it, you know what? Basically, the joke is he can't fit through things. And it, you know what? It's... It's um, it's more appropriate of a runner than I've let on because I keep bringing it up, but they've only gone to that well like twice. Yeah, it, it really is. A th- it sort of make you. They don't usually spend a whole page on slapstick in most comics, mm-hmm. and and they can do it here a little bit. There's not a lot of places for that. There's certainly not a places for it in Marvel. So I respect. This seems to be one of the true sort of heirs to the old Justice League book, which would spend a whole page on slap, the whole issue on slapstick, and or an issue on them shopping or you know doing the day to day stuff of that. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that, but that's yeah, that's really that's right on. Um, I mean, we've got Shocker, you know, all up in his apartment, um, holding you know Silvermane's head like out the window so he can see what's going on, (laughs) and yeah. it's uh it's it's pretty great. And it's and, and now like all the characters who've been sort of um split up are meeting up by the end of this issue. So uh Shocker who's been off on his own with, with Silvermane is is now gonna bump back into Boomerang and all of them. So 
Great, great book. My problem with this book is that I continually forget to notice it. Like, what are you like, talking about? You were like the main champion. No, no, of it. I, I know, and I totally love it. It's just when I scan the books, like I don't see it for whatever reason. It looks like some kind of like it always. I don't notice it, and then I'm and then I see it later. Oh, right, and I, and I read it right away. But for some reason, when I scan the cover with my eyes, it just doesn't for whatever. I've, I've missed it several times. Ne- actually, they show the pre the the next cover is really nice looking. Yeah, um, it's sort of a it's a throwback to the first cover, and they're sort of leaning on the on their sort of getaway van. And uh, what, but the camera's up top, looking down on them. It's, what I'm saying has nothing to do with the quality of the book. It has to do with the quality of other books that, for some reason, it makes me think of when I see the cover, and I'm not really thinking about it. I'm like, oh, that's, that's no, that's no. I'm like, oh right, no, no, I do love that one, for whatever reason, uh, and I can't seem to get past it. Ape uh, Sapien. Yeah. Um. I went. I had. I was like super backlogged on on uh these bprd books and i actually read like a bunch of them to catch up and and i almost started to lose the thread with this book um and then the last two issues it really it, it pulled me back in because i i kind of like they did a they did a, i think they understood that people were losing the thread and they did, really did a good job of explaining what the hell this was and where it was going um and I just appreciated that, and I was because I was starting to the. This was going to be one of the first BPRD books that I stopped reading, basically, which is a shame because Abe Sapien is a very important character in the whole thing, and I'm really like I'm starting to wonder. I know that this their their whole apocalypse thing is the worldview uh, that they're sticking with for a while, but I'm like, how long is this going to go on? There has to be some sort of deer, and and I don't know. This was a, this was a good. Uh, it, it sort of brought things back to a point where it felt like we had a little bit of focus. The world um, has to stop ending at some point. Well, I does mean, it? Does it? Yeah. Do you want to read that forever? No. Like, hey, let's go around this corner. Nope, this is all wrecked too. That's what it's been like for two years. Mm-hmm. It's, it's who's the team on this bleak. now? Uh, it's, I've lost uh, track of it too. It's Scott Alley and Mike Mignola writing, uh, and um, not Max Fiumara, but his brother. Uh, Sebastian Fumera, maybe I think. Hold oh, on, I gotta open it and look. That um, sounds very similar in tone to the next book we're gonna talk about. Though. Well, the only one, the only other one, and I know that this is slightly against protocol, but because I read twelve, thirteen, and fourteen all at once, the end of thirteen had like an eight-page short story um, related to the main story with art by Guy Davis, and it was so good to see Guy Davis art on this again Ooh. that I'd forgotten how incredibly good Guy Davis art on these characters is. I mean, it was. It was perfect. It was like, you know those commercials for like contact lenses when they show you like one side of the screen and then the other one comes into focus? Yeah. It was like that. I was like, oh, that's the BPRD. Like I wouldn't have lost – It's it, it just showed me how much the art makes a difference. And it's good art on this, but it's not Guy Davis. Um, it's very different than Guy Davis actually. Ben but, Stein um, has never looked so good as when he's drawn by Guy Davis. It's true. That's true. Um, anyway, so uh, if, if, if like for Paul, if you were, if you were dropping off of this, uh, I think it's a – it's, I think it, I think it's worth keeping up with. Okay. In a larger sense. I will catch up. Okay. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking up at the thing. The Walking Dead. Right. I have two of mine in a row here. Um, the Walking Dead, like, they did this uh, just shift. In, they did a time shift, and they're like, we're in a different kind of version of their world. Um, and it's kind of been like we've been hanging out in what is this sort of rosy world for three issues or so. And and of course, there's like there's the one thing that's a little bit weird, and they don't know what it is. And 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 in this, they have like Rick decided 
not to have Reagan, I said Reagan, <laughs> Nagan executed. He's just in this cell in one of the buildings in their happy little community. And uh, this is the this is the one where you sort of see how that's going to start to fall apart. And it was a really good issue with a great ending. And I really like how well they have stuck to this new paradigm. I think if the TV show does it, it'll be really cool. Because, cool. again, you cannot keep wandering Apocalypse forever and have it still be interesting. I think. I think there's well, a they've limit. Well, they've done it for 100 plus issues. Right. You can do it for a long time, but eventually you're going to be like, oh, is, is there something going to happen? You know, things are happening, I know. But uh, I, I, I think it works very well. Although, on Battlestar Galactica, it didn't work so much. So... <laughs> This week was the finale of Winter Soldier, The Bitter March, number five uh, from uh, Rick Remender. And uh, who's the artist on this? I, I guess uh, closed my iPad. I forgot. Yeah, um, it is. You looked that up. Well, like, awesome. say why I, I like you this talk. issue so much. Um, so we, in this issue, this is. This is oh, a, I opened the DC app. Goddamn. This, this is uh, taking place in the 60s. Ron, uh, not Ron Paul. Wow. I'm all over the Roland place. Roland Boschi. You know what happened? Jesus. This is exactly what happened. I completely tuned out during the walk into the park because I didn't want to hear anything. About it. <laughs> and so I'm like someone who just woke up. Like, what happened? So Good I'm Lord. awake now. Okay. So this is the mod spy story. It takes place in the 60s. It features uh, it featured in the beginning Nick Fury, but it's mostly is it hot been there? About... No, it's actually pretty close. <laughs> uh, most it featured the the agent who was who's currently been a villain in the Captain America books, the Iron Nail, I forget the name. It's awesome, by the way. And uh, so and he's teamed up with a Winter Soldier who has started to remember who he really is, and so he's been saving the day. And I thought what was great about this issue was, you know, he's finally saved the day. He's going to save the sp- He's going to save the the uh, scientist who has been the, uh, the MacGuffin of this whole story. And he's basically getting away. And Nick Fury shows up in all of his American glory and shoots him and, bas- and basically sends him back into his evil ways because he, he sends him back to the Russians and the Russians are reprogramming him. But uh, I thought it was great that, you know, in this moment of triumph, uh, Nick Fury shows up and talking about commies and chomping a cigar and, and saves the day but also doesn't save the day. I thought that was a great, great little moment. I've- I know there's been a lot of talk about this writer this week, but this is, to me, this is another example of he's doing some of the best work at Marvel. I just think it's super, like, you know, the unexpected twist, the, you know, the the sort of subversion of your expectations, the way that this book ties into the other book, very, Mm -hmm. like, the whole time you're going, well, wait, Shen, isn't that the guy who's in the other book, who's a bad guy? And, Mm -hmm. and, And, like, you just, all of those little itches in the back of your mind um, you know, are getting answered if you wait if you wait for it, and yes. I think that's really cool. It was been, it was a really fun miniseries. Yes, it was. Looks awesome. Um, two, super action. It was, it was good. It was it's really a good. really great way to do a support mini. Like yes, it, it's in support of the of the main thing, but it also tells its own. You know, it's it's even if you're not reading, you know, Captain America, it's it's satisfying on its own. Um, and if you want some versa. old school Nick Fury, who's not director of Shield, but is an agent of Shield, uh, that'd be great if, if Bucky was like, "I'm gonna cut off your head someday, you jerk." He's like, <laughs> "You catch me first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so those are the books we're gonna talk about this week. Go to fanboy.com. You can find the post for this show, and you can talk about those books. You can talk about other books of the week, other other things we didn't talk about. Um, I'm awake now, so that's good. 
Shall I read an audience question? Yeah, I totally. I did a really good job of zoning out. I didn't hear a word Josh said about The Walking Dead. All right, Brian from Pants Unknown or Parts Unknown would probably be right. Uh, has Wolvie ever, and he means Wolverine, ever been depicted in comics shaving, or is the area around his mouth just naturally tamed? His claw would make a fantastic razor, and he wouldn't worry about nicks. Logan brand razors from Marvel. Marketing gold. Do you think Professor X shaves or waxes that shiny dome? We're doing shtick no- now? <laughs> well, Chuck isn't doing much shaving because he's dead. Well, there's no way he'd, he'd wax his head. He would. I think he psychically... Connor, what do you do? I shave it. If, you, if someone were to wax my head after they came out of the coma, I would murder them. <laughs> I mean, this is a really sensitive... Really sensitive part of your body that's right above your brain. I mean, I don't know how anatomy works. I think there's a skull in the middle there, but <laughs> so you just you just use a regular razor that you use it on your face. It's a razor blade. Sometimes I use a Bowie knife, but um, that's only when I'm in the jungle. You mix fighting. it up in like a you know army helmet. It, I always like the idea of really digging deep on Wolverine's hair because you know why does it only grow in those parts? He clearly grows everywhere wildly, and we never see him shaving this face, that the mouth part. So why only there? And why does it grow into the two spikes? And why does he keep cutting it that way? Shouldn't at this point someone say, "Listen, Wolverine's hair and face are sort of like the physics and time questions in Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't be discussed. They don't necessarily make sense, and that's not the point." Yeah, totally. Although. To their credit, the one thing that you can always say about the X-Men movies and, and Hugh Jackman is that they managed to somehow bridge the gap between that ridiculous Marvel haircut. And it wasn't just Wolverine's haircut. It was the owl. It was, uh, the, it was uh, a lot of haircuts. The Star Fox. It was, it was a bunch of people. I don't know who first came up with that. For some what, reason at Marvel, they were like, let's, let's just run with this hairstyle. I think there was something that it was based on that was real. Quicksilver... And yeah. and it turned into that stylized thing, and then they just use it as a theme. Weird. What if he has like a setting on his claws, and you can pop them, and instead of going snicked, they go shick. And he can shave. Oh, oh God. I want to wax your <sighs> It makes more sense than it goes Gillette. <laughs> Although that's true. That's true. But that you're, is true. You know what? You're a really competent uh, joke writer. So, you know. Mach 3 Turbo. All right, let's read three? The- what are we, aren't we on? The- Mach 3 Turbo. I know. Is that one? I don't know. I, I switched to the Harry's ones. Anyway. What are those? Pretty good. It's a little chintzier feeling, but it's a hell of a lot cheaper. And my, my uh, handle is orange, which I think is rad. And I, again, this is key. Don't have to go to a store. Well, I get the Dollar Shave Club, but yeah. uh, Harry's is like one step above that. Yeah, they're nice. They're good. They, I mean, I don't shave that often, so I'm like a once a week shaver, so. Chick. You have to concentrate really hard the rest of the week to grow some hair. It just it doesn't even look different. It just starts to itch more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Scott from Parts Unknown. <laughs> You've says, been waiting on that for days. Yep. <laughs> I just finished reading the first black science trade and loved it as a dark homage to Mr. Fantastic. It reminded me of another great homage to the Fantastic Four in the great Warren Ellis planetary comic of years past. That got me thinking, what are your favorite homage comics? This is a cool question. It um, is because it's a it's a neat sort of subset of comics. It's not necessarily 
people well, ripping off w- ideas. Wouldn't you say that all of comics is a homage to something it's, else? It's it's constantly it's it's like it's just this circuitous homage orama, really. Um, but he's spe- there's but there's a specific set of comics that he's talking about, right? And I would from say all over the place. Alan Moore's are almost all like, <laughs> like this. Watchmen, yeah. <laughs> and, no, it's uh, no, everything. And, you know, Tom Strong and uh, Top Ten and, you know, all those uh, Lead to Extraordinary Gentlemen. I think those are all really great homage comics. Tom Strong is especially a homage to sort of the... I'll give you a real one. Doc Savage type books. And I thought yeah. those, yeah. all those... When, when he came out of the ABC comics in the 90s, I think all those were just really wonderful homage books. Yeah. Uh, I think Godland yeah. um, is an homage to... A, actually, everything Joe Casey does is a little bit of that, too. Well, he's working in comics currently. Well, yeah, yeah, I know, like, but like he's specifically like I feel like he picks things that that fit with that. But like you know, well, like Godland sex is, is you know Batman. Yeah, but it's also like I don't know. It refer- I think it references visually Watchmen and, and sort of that era totally. very much. Um, but but Godland specifically is this sort of take mo- more modern take on on you know uh, Kirby post Marvel comics uh, and his huge imagination and stuff and and. But with that sort of sick, weird lean on it. But obviously, like, it looked exactly like Kirby, uh, the way that Tom Shelley drew it. There, there's some that are just, like, direct, like, uh, like Glory and Wonder mm-hmm. Woman. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then there's some or that Supreme are Supreme sort of, and Superman. Yeah, and then there are some that are sort of like a mission. Or, or The Authority. <laughs> I mean, there's The Authority is probably yeah. the best, um, at least at the time, like, in the context of when it existed. Like, Paul Pope's Battling Boy, like, there's a little bit of Kamandi in there. There's a little bit of... Thor in there. There's a little Batman in there. That's all sort of mixed around, but it's inescapable that that it's um, you know, taking notes from something. Well, the um, some things. Omac, for sure. This week was interesting because it, we had the second issue of Infinity Man, the Forever People, and I thought right, it, it worked much less because the art wasn't a direct homage to Kirby. Mm, okay, I, I thought it took away from the the feeling of the book, and therefore it made it feel more. Instead, a homage can feel dated if done wrong, and this I felt felt very dated because of the art. Um, but you know, thought- it's it's funny because homage can be all sorts of things, or it can be reference. Like I, I was thinking, like, like currently, like Peter Panzer Faust is sort of a, I don't know, like does it count if it's like a take on Peter well, Pan? I guess you could say it's a homage to war. Uh, I think here he means more of a homage to something specific. Yeah, to comics. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, those pulpy stuff—the pulpy stuff that Alan Moore made—that's the stuff that comes to my head right away, and that's the stuff I love. I like the most. Like I, just, I love Tom Strong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't like it at the time, but later I liked it a lot. I see what you're saying. Obviously, that is the most homage of them. Well, you know, Plan- I mean, he mentioned Planetary. That was also that was the same era as those yeah, Alan Moore books, the 2000, 2001. and uh, that was a really great homage. Because every issue, because the whole thing was all homage to the Fantastic Four, but then every issue itself almost was a homage to something different. To, to his genre, a lot of yeah, time. to his genre. Are there and it's not even necessarily not even necessarily a comic genre, right? But like they did like the Hong Kong action movie issue, which right. by the way is so ambitious to do in a comic book. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even make sense, but That's one of those- they did it. I think you can sort of break it down into there's some that are in homage because like you know. If you create a speedster character, you know you're automatically going to be referencing in some way, like the Flash, 
Um, but then there's stuff where like like black science where it, it's a little bit I think it's a bit more subtle, but um, where you take that kind of character, that kind of personality, and your um, or Watchmen would be a good example. Where you I would can, actually, I would can, honestly be, you know, go ahead and you finish. Well, wait, where you can where you can take those superheroes and you know that that's kind of referring to the you know the analog characters, the the original DC or Charlton characters, and um, able to say things that you wouldn't if you use the original characters. Um, right. That you can actually make a point um, by creating these facsimiles of them. I would be really surprised if Black Science was a homage, just knowing. Because- there's no sort remainder. of like hints of it. It seems more of a homage to the mad scientist character. Yeah. Than it is Which to is broader Mr. Fantastic. Than I mean, yeah. he's got a family, but so do most characters. In I, how about this, though? Stay on a, on a topic. Uh, Fear Agent uh, seems like, at least visually and thematically, very much an homage to Wallywood science fiction stories. Right. So, I'm, not, I'm not surprised by that. But what I'm just saying is I don't see rick remender homaging yeah. a marvel comic in his no India. yeah exactly but I'm, I'm saying like that's just another one i thought of like in the same you know mm-hmm. same artist but in the same like that's definitely like he, he, he of, seems to like to do the homage to the pulp era more than anything which i think this, this is, is also fantastic pulp writer and i think right, and this is this and this is i think more of a pulp book than a homage to it and, and he's a pulp writer he's a pulp right. fiction genre writer and and I, that's a thing that i think some people get about it and some people don't which is why his work is um uh, polarizing. There's a couple right, of weird ones. So that arc of Criminal, where they had like sort of the Archie oh. send up. Oh, oh Criminal. Yeah, perfect. Criminal, criminal itself, really. Mm. In general. Um, God, that Criminal arc was so good. And the other one, this is going slightly out, you know, out of comics, but Batman Beyond, I, re- I always remember they had this episode where they had this sort of pastiche of uh, the Fantastic Four. It was mm-hmm. clearly lampooning the, the Fantastic Four, and they turned out to be villains. Um, and I don't remember if it was, if there was like three of them, but it was clearly like there was a, an analog for, you know, the thing and, you know, all that. So, mm-hmm. and then, and th- that's something where you're supposed to be like, you're, 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 you're not going, oh man, that's a total ripoff of that. Oh, I get what they're doing. That's really funny that they're making that point with those characters. The thing about this is we could literally do four hours in this question because I love this question. <laughs> there's so much homage in comics and in genre work to begin with, but those are some some of our favorites. Good question, Scott. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. And thank you, Brian. They both emailed us at contact at ifanboy.com. And that, that website, again, I mean, that email address, again, is working. Uh, we had a brief problem with our provider, but it's back up in a different service. So now feel free to email us at contact at ifanboy.com and we get, your, get your email on the show. We may, again, call email bankruptcy on those old ones. Everything got imported into a single mailbox. We said everything all sorted and, and labeled and marked as read and unread or responded to. and unre- Now it's all just in one giant mailbox. So we may just call bankruptcy. I have no idea what's been responded to, what hasn't been. So we'll see. If you hear from us, then you're lucky. Also, email, <laughs> also call us on the voicemail line. It's a gift. Families. No, it's just, your, it's just because I don't know who's going to get responded to. It's an homage. To Other than going forward. Uh, voicemail line, 888-FANBOYS-3262697. That's where you can call. Leave us a voicemail around 30 seconds. Tell us your name. Tell us where you're from. And you can get on the show that way, too. And uh, we want to briefly mention that our old pal Ron Richards appeared on Let's Talk Comics with James Viscardi. And he spent about half of that two-hour show talking about the history of my fanboy with a fair amount of accuracy. Did you know that he invented dog food? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they had been trying to think of the perfect – it's just he stumbled upon it, really. It was an accident. (laughs) But the thing was that he was working on um, nuclear fusion. And he was going to get it uh, right. It was his idea. I mean, like, Listen, like, 
I will give thing. complete credit in the first iteration of my fanboy that no one ever visited did have a social network that it was not did not exist at the time. That's true. <laughs> and uh, he, you know, he's not the CEO of Facebook right now, though he could be. So it's actually a really fun show. The second half hour of that show is him talking about Image Comics and the current state of the industry and what he does there. So if you're at all curious why Ron left the show, you can find out. It's pretty plain and plainly clear by listening. I think it was very entertaining and informative, but I don't know because he's not most of your best friend. So <laughs> I, I am biased on that. I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. Right. So I'm curious to think what, what non – although the best, Ron's best friend club is very large. Yeah. I think you so, and I have a good claim to it. So check out Let's Talk Comics with Ron Richards. That's at letstalkcomics.com. And uh, also while you're on the internet at that, doing that, you can also check out fanboy.com. That's where you can find this show. You can find all of our old shows. Uh, coming up, we'll have a Guardians of the Galaxy show in just a few weeks. Uh, you can look forward to that at some Excited. point. Eventually, Paul will finish his Akira sh- series at some point. Someday. That'll be exciting too. And uh, all that is found at ifanboy.com. And you can follow iFanboy at twitter.com slash iFanboy and facebook.com slash iFanboy. And you can follow us all individually at Jay Flanagan, at C.S. Kilpatrick, and at Fuzzy Typewriter. Uh, I was actually just looking up uh, to see where we were on, on iTunes reviews. Mm-hmm. And we are at 1,022 ratings. Ratings. There, ratings. Are, there are 21 of those are one stars. Awesome. So Those uh, are my favorites. Um, they add up. Yeah. Although one of those one stars is an accident. Okay, so 20 of them. It's a nice round number. We know that having read, having read it where it's like, great podcast, one of my favorites, one star. So clearly it was <laughs> an accident maybe, starring. Maybe we did something wrong. Uh, like this person in 2006 said, I Lee radio. <laughs> we bored that person in 2006. And to be honest, in we 2006 we might have been pretty boring. What if yeah. what if they were what if something bad happened to them while they were writing the review and they didn't get to put all the stars in like they were defense traded or something? Uh huh. It's tragedy on many levels. And there's, there's, there's of course the famous one star. Josh hates fat people. <laughs> the other guy, the other guys are okay. Period. <laughs> but Josh clearly hates fat people. Well, you do. I don't know if you guys have ever seen uh, my family in Maine. Anyway, <laughs> I got hung up on. You can go to iTunes and leave us a rating or review because uh, at this point it's pretty funny. Uh, or you can tell people about the shows uh, that you like uh, on your social networks or in person. Or uh, you can make a, a reel-to-reel tape recording and take it to your friends who, who are living like a, like a sort of ironic retro 70s life. I got 100% on my reel-to-reel test in college, which was really useful for my future career. <laughs> yep. I, I, I got that taping right down. Took you t- you Splicing, tape. taping, getting the audio levels perfect. Yep. He was like, this is perfect. I never touched a real machine in my you life. No, you know, you could end up being a Cold War spy at some point. <laughs> go back in time. Go through a – just walking down the street and Our, go through a portal right. one day. Our media education was perfect in case we ended up being time-traveling spies working in the media <laughs> industry. Thank Otherwise, goodness. useless. Otherwise, completely useless. Nope, nope, not true. Conflict. I learned <laughs> about conflict. Raymond R. Ghazi. That's right. You can look that up. Anyway, I think that we have uh, dwelled on that for a little long. Um, like how long we dwelled on uh, analog tape conversion? About four years, uh, which was the end of analog tape, by the way. Point that out. It's where we're coming from. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. I'm Connor. I'm Paul. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> you know, that's more fucking irritating than your iPad. Love my fucking iPad. iPad.
So Paul's a rich person. <laughs> <laughs> I just found it. That is a. It was uh, in the park one day. A, I just found a, it. There's an homage right there. That's the first year of the show. See you next week. Make me feel like that. Love.